theoretically, even if you can't physically get to the office, you could still do a telemed if the patient has access to at least a FaceTime type device and the physician does as well. Um, so, you know, going through a, an encounter and perhaps doing short-term prescribing or, or updating there this would certainly be an option. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of APM Success. I am here with friend of the show, Tina Rivenbark. Tina is the founder of Advanced Practice Solutions. She is a a practice consultant doesn't really do justice to describe what she does and all the various skills that she has, but she's been working in healthcare and before that dental practice consulting for many years. And she's the, one of the go-tos for the in-the-know pain physicians who want to either launch practices or optimize the ones that they have. So Tina, as always, thank you for joining. Oh, thanks for having me. What a great introduction. So we've been partners in crime lately doing some fellowship, doing, doing the fellowship roadshow, helping pain fellows get attuned to some of the important things to think about. So if you're listening to this and you're a fellow and your program has not already brought Tina in, I'm going to put her info in the show notes, apmsuccess.com slash 166. And I know she's always willing to generously share a lot of the intellectual capital that she's built up over many years. And you would benefit very much by having her come and speak to your program. Today, we're going to talk about disaster contingency planning and continuity plans for medical practices, because we were just talking about there's a hurricane apparently that was like in Canada recently. <laughs> I'm only 35 years old, but I'm not old enough to remember that ever happening before. And obviously there's, by the time that the show airs, there's one coming up to Florida. We heard about Puerto Rico getting blasted a couple of weeks ago. So this is definitely a topic on the minds of, I mean, frankly, many, many people outside of medicine, but also business owners and in particular practice owners who want to make sure that they have prepared adequately as best they can for natural disasters and things like that. So Tina, I know you said you have a handful of clients in Florida in particular with whom you've been speaking. Why don't you just give us a little bit of context for what types of questions do those doctors have and how are you counseling them right now? Yeah, so I mean, I guess you have, or I have two groups of physicians in that area that is in the line of fire for this current storm. So one would be the folks that grew up there, right? And, and they're accustomed to natural disasters as residents of those areas. And so, you know, they know the things to do to keep home family property safe, but suddenly they're a practice owner and not really understanding, like, you know, I'm having to cancel patients for the rest of the week. What do I do with that? I've got staff that's relying on me. How do I make sure that we have a solid plan? How do I have a contingency plan for my contingency plan? Protecting property and equipment for your practice and then also mitigating risk from, you know, God forbid, long-term damage. And if there was a looting situation or something, you, you really don't want to be a pain practice that's targeted if you are storing things that really don't need to be out accessible to the public. So, I mean, basically what I just did was just called and said, hey guys, let's take 15 minutes and kind of walk through some scenarios on things that you may or may not have thought about as it pertains to your practice and, and evacuating in those types of plans. So basically we first talked about 
EMRs. So if you have a server, obviously making arrangements to protect that, either you know disconnecting and taking it with you to some theoretically safe place, taking your very expensive, very large, very key equipment and leaving it away from windows, putting up as high as you can, perhaps covering with plastic, unplugging it so that you don't have electrical power surges if the power goes off and then it comes back on and it, you know, crushes a hundred thousand, $125,000 CRM. Computers, I mean, most of my clients now are using software as a service. So those are hosted EMR. So that takes a lot of that headache away and a lot of laptops. So do you, you know, do you have key staff that you want to send laptops home with so that if they need to access the EMR, if that's even available, that they have that access. And when I say available, I don't mean available from the EMR provider. What I'm really talking to is um, if you're in an area that's heavily hit, did your electrical company turn the power off or was there damage that took the power down? Internet, is your internet out, your cable out, your telephone services out, even sometimes cell services. I mean, where I live in coastal North Carolina, we are no stranger to hurricanes for sure. And it's, you know, it's the, the things you don't think about that end, end up being the most cumbersome trying to deal with, especially if, if the recovery takes two or three weeks or sometimes even longer. Do you find that your the clients that you work with, they have like a managed IT service or somebody that can help quarterback like, oh, we, we need remote access to the EMR and we only have two desktops here and like we need somebody to stand up two laptops right now? Is that do is there kind of, that kind of flexibility that practices have or are they usually like, that's more of a DIY thing and, and they're not equipped to be able to be that nimble. So the pond efficient predominantly is going to be a small to medium sized practice. Right. And so those folks don't have necessarily someone that just is an IT expert for the, the things that they need those services backfilled, which are most of the time networking initially network troubleshooting and then hardware troubleshooting. Those things they generally would hire out to a local vendor. But as far as the EMR is concerned, those those are pretty well supported by the EMR um, companies. Uh, The biggest things that they would have would be, hey, I sent my practice manager and my two medical assistants home with laptops, but one doesn't have electricity and the other two don't have internet. Well, that's just kind of it, you know. Maybe even, you know, you can prepare by downloading the EMRs on trusted individuals' cell phones because most of them have now apps that you can use to do the the majority of of key processes. But even then, if you, you know, I I am right outside of the city limits of my town, but my, my street, we don't have great cell service on our street. So if you're in my house using your cell phone, you're using it because you're hitting the Wi-Fi calling. Yeah, and, and again, if your power's out, if then your internet's out, or your power may be on and your internet may still be out. And those are things that can take, even in metro areas, two, three, four weeks to restore. So it's not necessarily going to come back right back on the moment that the storm leaves out of town. Yeah, this is one of those things, you know, I'm, I'm imagining, if you're, especially if you're setting up a practice right now and making decisions about equipment and software, so as, as we both have clients that are having an eye towards continuity planning and what happens if dot, 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 and what is plan A, B, C, and D, and how tenable are those in resource-constrained circumstances where power or cell service or whatever is 
offline? I, th- those are really important questions to ask. Do you have certain configurations either on the software side or with hardware or with phones that, that you kind of go to as a, a default because of how sort of flexible they are in these circumstances? Yeah, I mean, on the... As I said, on the software side, the software as a service is is migrated to for a number of reasons, but this not being the least of which, then you're not maintaining the hardware. These large EMR companies have redundant servers. So, if, you know, the power is out in, in one area, they just uh, flip a switch and it pulls from a different server. Telephones, particularly, I love the VoIP telephone setup. I have a couple of vendors that I've dealt with for a number of years, but I mean, in most of the VoIP setups, you can access like your dashboard online. You don't have to be physically in the office. You can be physically in the office, take a phone and carry it home. And if you have internet, plug it in at your house and it rings just as it does in the office. You can reroute calls. You can change messages very easily without having to have that physical proximity, which is so key in a number of levels. And then, you know, I, I guess really the big part from the, you know, making sure everybody's safe, making sure your patients are safe, making sure your staff's safe, and not doing anything to put people in harm's way, first of all. But once you get past the part where, you know, an active storm is moved out of the area, is it safe for your employees to get to work? Are there trees that are power lines that they're going to have to drive through or, or, you know, standing water, things like that? to actually get from where they live to the office. So being super careful and and in tune to those types of risk exposures, both on the staff and and patient side, I think. Now the patients, particularly in our specialty, they're gonna be more motivated to find some way to get there. Um, Not that your staff would not, but that, you know, they're generally very eager to not miss their appointments, but, you know, having plans for if two of our staff members can't physically actually get to our building, what could they do remotely? If they have electricity or internet, can they, you know, work up patients remotely over telemed and then take some of the burden off the staff that is physically there or call them confirmed patients or call them new patients or something that, that is accessible and feasible for them to do away from the office. Are there functions for the patients that the physician and staff can continue to sort of execute, even if the, the office is like without power, like what, what types of things are still happening? Are there telemed consults that you need to be able to be equipped to do, or, you know, maybe like some of the billing stuff should still be happening or, or anything like that. What, what, what business functions should you be able to do remotely? Again, it's going to depend on how much your area was impacted from a utility perspective, but theoretically, even if you can't physically get to the office, you could still do a telemed if the patient has access to at least a FaceTime type device and the physician does as well. Um, so, you know, going through a, an encounter and perhaps doing short-term prescribing or, or updating there is, would certainly be an option. And then, you know, on the billing side, most, again, because of the the sweet spot of my client base. Most of those folks are using outsourced billing. It's just much more economical for these practices of these size of these sizes. So if your billing company is not in your area, or maybe they are in the in your area, the 
company most of my clients use, they make plans for their staff to work at home if there's inclement weather, issues like that. Even through COVID, a lot of these folks work from home and, and kept things on schedule. So that part, you know, any of the admin things could, if the access to the utility services there could go on for sure. Are there any things that business owners, especially if they own the real estate too, which they do in many cases, can or should be doing sort of pr- proactively, prophylactically, one might say, other than like, you know, putting plywood on your windows? Is there anything else to kind of prepare your space? Or, you know, you mentioned like making sure there's uh, removing any drugs that need to be moved or, or is there anything else even from a com- like a healthcare compliance standpoint that you need to make sure is buttoned up in preparation? So if, you, if your EMR is a soft, software as a service, then your exposure to a, you know, a HIPAA breach should be pretty low. From a property damage perspective, or well, let's just say that back, from an inventory perspective, and really I'm thinking about situations like super desperate situations where, you know, long-term weeks and weeks perhaps, you have property damage situations that prevent you from opening. The last thing you want is, you know, a, a great big sign up there that says pain management and someone deciding, hey, instead of taking down the local foot, foot locker, let's go see what kind of fun things we can find in there. You know, that would be something to plan for on the front end if you have the ability to get get those sort of controls out of that space and, and keep them still protected in a double lock system. That might be something to consider. Yeah, obviously, the, the same things you would do at your house as far as trying to video inventory furnishings and equipment and property checking your policies is actually something super helpful because you know a lot of the business owner policies will have clauses in there or coverages in there that will allow you to continue to function at some level. So some sort of business operation, business continuity clause in a business owner's policy, which is there to help you mitigate risk from you not being able to reopen right away. So if you're if you can't see patients, but you need to be, you know, have your staff paying them so that they can continue to do what they do. And plus you may have them cleaning up or or helping to get you back to a, a place that you can be, or if you had to relocate to a different place temporarily because you had such significant property damage, those types of perils would be covered in, in these policies. So before the storm comes would be a really good time to kind of check that stuff out and understand if you have coverage to pay staff continuation salaries because that will help you as you're making decisions on a daily basis like am i going to open tomorrow well if i don't open what do i have to deal with on a patient basis that can't be pushed out another day and if i don't open how am i impacting my employees um can I afford to pay them, you know, this hazard pay for, for inclement weather or whatever it happens to be? So having a good knowledge of what type of coverage you have helps as you're making those day-to-day decisions, I think. And this is even a good opportunity to, to review those policies. And as, you know, incidences of these types of things are <laughs> getting more press being able to make sure that you have the protection that you need to cover your business overhead, for example. There, there's a lot of benefits to that. Obviously, beyond the just the financial impact of you're saving your bacon because you can make payroll for a month or two if needed. It also allows you to potentially carry less cash 
in your, you know, instead of having to have like a, a big surplus of cash that right now cash is getting crushed by inflation in terms of purchasing power, you can perhaps run a little leaner knowing that many of the contingencies for which you might need that cash could be covered under many of the protections afforded by the policy you just described. Yeah. And I even talked to a physician yesterday, two days ago, down south and said, you know, these are the things to consider. And and one of the questions that was asked was, well, how do we make policy with staff? Do we say, okay, if the schools are closed, we're going to have the office is going to be closed. Well, that's, I mean, that's a pretty easy one because that information would obviously be blasted to local media and things like that. But the problem you have then is schools are mitigating a lot different risks than you are. So having children standing out waiting for buses when there's down power lines or standing water and things like that is more problematic than having, you know, a staff member that it takes 20 minutes longer to get to work. And you may end up losing productive days based on that if you make that a blanket policy. So what I have done in the past is really just, and it's, it's something you have to kind of do as it arises, is really just survey the staff that you have. Who, who, what does my team look like right now? How many people do I have that have children? And then it matters if they close the public schools because suddenly they didn't have a daycare issue before and now they do. Children are too young to stay at home or whatever it happens to be. And then take that information and what can I do? What can my contingency plan be if all these folks on this list here cannot come? How can I operate? You know, a lot of times you may end up with half staff or no staff. But the one thing I would strongly, strongly caution providers to remember is even though, you know, in, in these crazy situations and we're all trying to be good neighbors and, and do the best we can for ourselves, our families, our patients, our employees, our community, it's still ill-advised for you to be in the office without a staff member. So, for example, Dr. Harvey, you're receiving phone calls from a patient who, you know, really needs, was scheduled for an injection and they're just in terrible discomfort and you feel like you could, that's something you could do without the C-arm. You could, you know, run to the office real quickly. You've got power, you've got this, you've got that. You just don't have the staff. So putting yourselves in positions like that, even though it feels like you're doing the right thing at the time, find a way. Go pick up a staff member have a family member if you have to, but just don't be in the office with a patient alone because you wouldn't you wouldn't do that under normal circumstances. So this is not the time to to make those kinds of oversights. Do you have any best practices you recommend as far as having like a I'm thinking like a playbook kind of thing? Like if this happens, you know, here's the document or here's the thing that the team has where it's like here's how the phone redundancy works, here's how the EMR access is configured. You know, when everyone is dispersed, it's it instructs people. Do you, do you do do your clients have those? Yeah, so a lot of that is is inclusive of the HIPAA manuals and the OSHA manuals and the protocol manuals that we provide. But again, making certain that it's current and relevant, you know, because teams change, situations change, circumstances change that may not be the way it was when you originally wrote the policy. So, you know, assuming powers out in the community for 80% of the community for day four, five, six, and seven, how 
how are we going to communicate throughout our team and to the patients what the situation is? So, you know, assigning maybe a telephone chain and figuring out even if I've had situations where providers had full house generators, full home generators, and had to have some of the team members come over because they didn't have electricity, didn't have access to internet, didn't have access to the utilities. And, you know, if, if we have to gather at my kitchen table so that we can reach out to these patients and let them know what's going on and, and make a plan B for them, then that's okay. We'll, you know, grab a pizza or something and, and, and get it done. But, you know, just using the staff that you have and the resources you have available, even when the whole world was t- turned upside down to still be able to complete the necessary tasks, like keeping communication open and, and letting everyone know what the plan is. Any other best practices or things to consider for physicians who are trying to address these questions? Safety, I think it would be the priority. I mean, just always thinking about the safety of your family, your staff, their family, your patients, their family, the community, the emergency responders. Don't put anybody at risk that you don't have to put at risk. And some, especially for newer practices, losing a day or two or three of a schedule can seem just completely overwhelming. But there are worse things and there are ways to recover that. So making this make sure that decisions are are safety first, prioritized, and then you know we can work on regaining the rest of it. For our listeners, as a reminder, apm.com apmsuccess.com slash one six six. I'm going to link to Tina's contact info there, as well as any other recommended resources that she has. I'm going to post in the show notes there, so we can you can check that out. Tina Rivenbark, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. As always, thanks for lending your expertise to the APM Success community. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.